We're into Mark chapter 5 again, so uh, take your Bibles please, and we'll take our reading from uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to the end. And uh, there are two uh, little stories that are contained here, stories in the sense of the retelling of something that actually occurred, not something that's been made up. This is uh, the true things that happened when uh, Jesus Christ was on the earth uh, almost 2,000 years ago. So uh, we'll read together Mark chapter 5 from verse 21. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him, he turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. We're picking up in the, the account of Mark, who is giving us the, the good news of the gospel, which is good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he understood it most likely uh, from the Apostle Peter and maybe from his own interactions with Jesus at some point during his life. And he's recording it for us uh, to try and convey to us under the, the superintending work of the Holy Spirit what it is that God wants us to know that is important in the things that Jesus did and said and how then that is good news for us. The background if you remember last time we were in Mark, was Jesus had been across the other side of the Lake of Galilee. This is the little lake that's up to the north of uh, 
the region of Israel. And he traveled across to the other side, which was a, a Gentile area. And there he'd met a man, um, two men, but Mark records for us one man. And it says that the man was, and the men were filled with unclean spirits. There's a developing theme here in Mark's account that's to do with being unclean. It's already been there earlier in his writing, uh, but he's going to take this and run with this theme of being unclean for a while as we see it here as he continues in what we've read together today. So Jesus has been across on the northeastern side of the lake, but the people after seeing the healing of the men uh, said, we don't want you here. And he left on the boat, and as we've picked it up in verse 21, it says that Jesus had crossed over again uh, to the other side, which is the northwestern side of the lake, which was near to his hometown, which was Capernaum by this time. So he comes to Capernaum, and as he lands, his popularity there is amazing. People hear he's come to the point where there's these crowds, just imagine the scene again as we've had it already, the crowds are pressing against Jesus and it says that he had to stay by the shore. It's almost as if he couldn't even get out. The crowds were so great in the region of his hometown area. We move from someone who was afflicted and troubled and disturbed and destroyed by unclean spirits, now to a woman who, because of continual bleeding, is unclean, and also a young girl, because she dies, who is unclean. I'll explain this in a little while. According to the law of God, which had been given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai about 1,400 years before uh, these events that we've read, God had declared a number of conditions or circumstances that people would find themselves in as being unclean. Now, it's not unclean in the, in the sense of just being dirty. It's unclean in a ritual sense. Because God as a holy God had said, I'm going to come and I'm going to live among my people, firstly in the tabernacle and then the temple. And you people are to be a holy people for me, set apart to me. And that means you're to be separated from the things that will prevent you from engaging in the worship and the community of the people of God. So God gave the people instructions as to what would make them unclean. And it's interesting, and we'll get to it in a moment, to see those things that got in the way of people being able to integrate and uh, participate actively in community, uh, but maybe more importantly, that restricted them from being able to engage in the religious um, worship life of the people of God. God gave the rules and there were reasons for it. Let's consider first uh, Jairus and his daughter. I know the, the way Mark gives it to us, we have... Uh, her really as bookends to, to this little account. But let's just deal with, with her first and then we'll come back to consider the woman who's sandwiched in the middle of the story because Mark does it chronologically. You have Jairus, who is a leader of the synagogue. He's one of the superintendents of the local synagogue who would probably most likely have known Jesus and had come to be aware that Jesus 
as other people had said, we know you're from God because nobody can do the things you're doing unless God is with them. So he's a man like that. And what is really interesting is that you have a man, Jesus, who is developing this reputation for being a teacher who teaches with authority, but is also able to do things that God would enable somebody to do because of the power of God. Here's a man who's recognizing, and he has this authority in the local religious life of uh, the time and in that little place. He comes and he falls down at the feet of this man, a man who is developing this reputation for being a teacher. The man is at the end of himself. He doesn't know where else to turn because, as he says, will you come because my daughter is almost dead? And will you come because if you can and you will, you touch her, uh, you can raise her up. This is an amazing statement of faith as we have it recorded for us in Mark. Now we come to the Bible as people who've quite often read the Bible numerous times and we know that Jesus raises people from the dead. A remarkable power of God because nobody else can do that. The prophets of God in the Old Testament on occasions were given the power to be able to do that. But it's only God that can give life to something that is dead. And here is a synagogue leader who comes and he falls down and he's hoping that this man can come and deal with the problem before she dies. He didn't have in his mind that he was ultimately going to raise her from the dead. But where we're going to get to in the way Mark tells the story is this is the first account in Mark's gospel of Jesus having the power not just to prevent someone from dying but actually to raise them up after they have died. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And Jesus went with him. Wonderful compassion of the Lord Jesus. But then we read, and you go down to verse 35, after uh, what must have been for Jairus a painful um, interruption in the journey from wherever he'd met Jesus to his house, as with the urgency he wants him to come and to deal with his daughter so that she won't die. You have this interruption with the woman. Then you come down to verse 35. And it seems that that interruption has caused the reality that Jesus hasn't been able to get to the house in time. Some people came from the house of Jairus. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus turns to Jairus having overheard, as we're told, that conversation. And if you can imagine something of the pain that would have been in Jairus' heart and mind, the whole of his being in that moment to be told, your daughter is dead. Jesus then says to him, don't be afraid, just believe. That's how the NIV captures it. The sense of the Greek really there is, don't be afraid, Jairus. You keep on believing. It has that sense of, you keep believing that I can do something that nobody else can. And I will show you that my power is greater than what you could have imagined. And Jesus whittles down then the group of people that are following him. Uh, to the three favoured disciples as we often refer to them remember the crowds are all around him 
And for this, Jesus is now absolutely focused on Jairus and Jairus' wife and this little girl. And he says, you lot stay here. I've got a mission. This is Jesus for us. He's in his whole life absolutely devoted to the mission of God. And here we have something of an insight. He says, right, you three, you come with me and we're going to see what's going on. And they come to the house and there's all, as it's described by Mark, there's this commotion and there's this wailing. Professional mourners uh, would come around and uh, would wail on behalf of the family. I've experienced something of that in the Philippines and, and it's, it's something that just makes you crawl, if I can describe it like that. You're facing death and someone has died and you have these people who may have some relation to, to the person, but more often than not, they're just people from the community and they come and they're wailing. Why? Because death is the end of something that is so valuable. But to turn it into something like professionalism is, is a very sad thing. But it's one way that people deal with the problem of death. And Jesus says, why this commotion and this wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. The reality is that to Jesus, who is the eternal son of God, who has the power of the one who created all things and gave life where there was no life and made things to exist from where there was nothing to begin with, he has all power to do whatever he wants. And for him, this dead child was like somebody who's asleep. So we need to wake somebody in the house. Some people may take more of a, uh, a pushing to get awake than others. Some are light sleepers, but you know how it is. If somebody's a bit of a deep sleeper and you need them to wake up, you go over and push them and you expect them uh, to, to come to their senses. That's what Jesus is thinking about. He has this power to go in to this room and to do that to this girl. That's the power of God. He put them all out. It tells us in verse 40, actually, you know, the, the language that sits behind it in the Greek says he threw them all out. It's, it's actually a, an act of force. And it's very similar to when Jesus cast out the money changers in the courts of the temple. You can sense something of Jesus' um, righteous anger at all of this mourning and wailing. And he pushes them all out of the house. Just imagine the scene in your mind if you can. And he goes over and he takes the girl by the hand. And as Mark does on a few occasions in his, uh, his gospel, he captures the, uh, the beauty of the moment by using the Aramaic language that would have been spoken. Talitha kum. Little girl, will you get up? And she sat up and she got up and started to walk around and he says, give her something to eat. What a wonderful demonstration of the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ who is the Son of God. None of us could do that. We have the power to wake somebody from sleep, but we do not have the power to raise anybody from the dead. And here was Jesus demonstrating his power as God to do this. Now in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, uh, the early uh, preacher of the gospel in all of its power, 
tells us that as sinners, we're all dead in our uh, transgressions and our sins. That to God, yes, we are dead because we are sinners. Uh, There is this deadness that has come to us because of our rebellion against God. God said that was the product of our rebellion. He said it to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The day you eat of the fruit of that, you'll surely die. Yes, physical death comes. And Paul in another letter in 1 Corinthians 15 says, the sting of death is sin. Which means that sin is like the sting you would get from a scorpion or something like that that ultimately results in death. Physical death. But on another level, our sin and our rebellion against God who is the source of life, we are dead. And God hates death. That's why he gave the unclean laws. He hates death. Because he is the God of life. But for dead sinners who recognize their deadness as they face the word of God and as they face Jesus, the Savior God has provided to be our Savior, and they come to realize that in my sin, I am dead to God. The only way I can have life is in Jesus. Then God shows himself in all of his power to be able to say, you're alive. To as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, as John says, he gave the right to become children of God. Born again. That's the language we use. To receive this life that God has come to give us, the life that he's given us in the person of Jesus. If we recognize our deadness and we recognize that Jesus is the Savior, he has the power to raise us from our spiritual death, but also more than that, he will resurrect everyone who has lived. So they will stand before a righteous God one day because he has the power to do that just like we have the power to wake somebody from sleep. He will do it and we will face him one day. We don't mess with God. You know what Jesus did was he touched the unclean. He took her by the hand. Remember, Jairus says, come lay your hands on her and she'll be healed. That's not a problem. But when she's dead, when she's a corpse, then she's unclean according to God's laws because she's dead. A corpse was a dead thing. And God did not want his people to be associated with dead things because he is the God of life. And if you were someone who touched a corpse, Numbers chapter 5, Numbers chapter 9, Numbers chapter 19, go and read it for yourselves, then you were unclean for seven days and you couldn't engage in the religious life of the the people of Israel. Cut off from that privilege. You know, the laws of God that I've mentioned already that included not touching corpses that make you unclean also mentioned that when there were the emissions of fluids, bodily fluids, uh, in the course of life, for men when they had sex, for women when they have their monthly cycle, and for other... um, diseases or sicknesses it would render somebody unclean why because it's associated with death the man's seed is removed the woman's seed is removed as the skin uh, flakes and dies it's it's to do with death that's what god's unclean laws are about he doesn't want anything to do with death 
He can't have it near him. But yet God in his mercy has come. And Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. So when he spoke out and says, you, get up, she did. If you hear the call of God, come to life, then he gives you the power to have that life and to live that life forever. We've talked about the uncleanness. We're coming back to the, the woman with the bleeding problem. This was probably an unstoppable uterine bleeding that she had. And I've mentioned already that in God's uh, purity laws in the Old Testament, a woman who would have her monthly cycle would be unclean for seven days. And uh, if she touched anything or people touched her, then they would become unclean as well. It was like a, a contagion. And you have this woman, we're told, who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. Mark doing something there uh, to link these two people together. That's what we're to think about. Oh, 12 twice. Okay, so these are linked. This is uncleanness. This is to do with death. But Jesus is able in all of his power to bring life where there is death. Subject to bleeding for 12 years. She has a problem. Debilitating, painful, embarrassing condition. And she spent all that she could on doctors who only seem to have made her worse. Look at Leviticus 15 if you want to see the laws associated uh, with the uncleanness that comes uh, on the monthly cycle for a woman. She has a problem. I remember being told this story as a child and maybe seeing in picture Bibles that the woman was bent double because of the pain and so on. We're not told that in the text, but that's just how people have interpreted it. That she was bent double and then reached out and took the hem of his garment because in her pain she was like that. Could well have been the case. But you know what else? She has a problem, but she is a problem. Because she is unclean, she is a problem to everybody else. Because anybody coming in contact with her is rendered unclean too. Imagine living like that, in a sense trying to hide something that was so obviously a problem. In all of the pain of it, living as an outcast probably from society to some degree, but never able to engage in uh, the religious life that she probably would have longed to have been part of. She's had it for 12 years. It's interesting that Jesus calls her daughter, isn't it? It's the only time we hear of Jesus referring to somebody as daughter. But given other occurrences when people in the scriptures refer to someone as daughter, it gives the impression that it's a young person that's being referred to by an older person. Now, Jesus was in his early to mid-30s when this happened. And maybe this woman who having started in the years, and this is just me thinking it through, in the years of adolescence has started with this and it's gone on for 12 years since it began. There was no stopping it. Maybe she's in her early 20s and she's lived with this. And Jesus in his compassion when she comes and says all that has happened, tells him the whole truth. Daughter, your faith has saved you is the sense of it. It's the word sought so. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jairus had asked for Jesus to come and say, put your hands on her, you may heal her. It's actually, no, you may save her. Mark, in his original Greek writing, uses three words in the text that are translated in English for us as healing or healed. Most times it's the word for save. Because God is the one who saves. Marx wants us to see that someone can be saved out of her predicament. 
by the power of God. And he uses that word, saved. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He uses two other words to describe healing that are there in the text. So if he wanted to use just merely healing all the way through, he would have chosen those words, wouldn't he? Mark wants us to see that this is about salvation. We know that the blood, the life is in the blood, as the law tells us in Leviticus 17 11. The blood carries all of the oxygen nutrients that's needed by our tissues uh, as it comes from the lungs and is pumped around by our heart and it comes back to the lungs having carried the waste product and we breathe out the CO2. It's amazing, isn't it? So the emission of blood was like, a, was like death. She spent all that she had and she has nothing. But she comes in faith and says to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Again, the sense of the Greek behind it is that she's mustering up the courage. She's coming close. Remember, she's a problem to everybody. She has a problem, but she is a problem. And she's mustering up the courage to come to this man and to reach out. I'll just touch his clothes. Maybe I'll get away with it. And she's hiding her problem from everybody. And she comes up. If I just touch his clothes, I will be saved. I'll be saved. And she reaches out and immediately... Mark tells us her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Instantly, it was gone. At once, Jesus, having realized that power had gone out from him, says, who touched my clothes? Jesus knew that power had gone out. Did he not know who had touched him? Maybe he did. But he wanted her to come forward. And can you imagine it, as Mark describes it so graphically, she comes with fear and trembling because she knows she's a problem to everybody else and particularly to this new teacher. She's going to be called out for her being unclean and everybody in the place is going to be, what? We're all unclean because of this woman. But she knows now that she's not got the problem. And Jesus when she's fallen at his feet, says to her daughter, you go in peace, your faith has saved you. And be freed from your suffering. Set free from death. I just want to repeat in closing that we're all unclean before God. Not in a dirty sense, but in the sense of being ritually unfit to come to God. Because we are associated with death. We're sinners. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we preach. And Jesus, the perfect one who never did any sin, became the sacrifice on the cross. He went to death himself so that he might defeat death once and for all and satisfy the righteous requirements of a holy God so that people could be forgiven their sin. Their sins, in a sense, taken away. So they are freed from this suffering of death. Able to live a life that anticipates a resurrection life to come. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6, for anybody who thinks that they're good enough to approach God. This was uh, said of the people of Israel. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now, if you're reading a version that was very true to the Hebrew there, filthy rags are the rags of a menstrual period. 
there's the link. That's what we're thinking of. Something associated with death. All of our righteousness, it counts for nothing on our own. And as the writer goes on to say, we all shrivel up like a leaf and the wind, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. But yet in both cases, for Jairus, as he would come to see that Jesus was not afraid to touch the unclean because he had the power to bring life where there was death. And for the woman who had that faith to believe, even though she was unclean, we see the love of God in the person of Jesus responding to the faith of people who see that in him there is the rescue and the saving from predicament, from sin, from death. In both cases, for the woman and for Jairus, it's faith that saves. In Isaiah 53, it says... It was our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. He poured out his life to death and he was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We're all transgressors. We're all unclean. We cannot come before God, but yet God in his love has come to us in the person of Jesus and he has the power to give life and to give healing where there is uncleanness associated with death and to give us life. What a God, what a saviour. Let's pray.